0: The time has come for more aggressive measures. The first and foundation of these is the commencement of the Gregory Young Scholars Program.
1: This is Allie Daniels. You're listening to Antimony. 8. Match Heads and Incense
2: that evening, but the library no
3: longer seemed safe. I have an idea. I know a place we can have all to ourselves. The bell tower. I'm sure that's kept locked. Of course it is. They can't let just anyone have access to the bell tower. So? So, I know where the keys are kept in the vault in the library. They let you just walk off with the key An impression of the key. See? Silly putty. All kinds of practical uses. And here is the key. Let's go!
2: As long as we don't stay up there longer than 15 minutes, doesn't the bell ring every quarter hour?
3: So we'll have to be quick.
2: It'll be fun! Awesome! Neith, you just turned the color of wet cement. What's wrong?
4: I'll be fine as long as I don't have to look down. Afraid of heights? It's embarrassing. I was the only kid in my neighborhood who didn't want to climb on top of the jungle gym or look off observation decks or ride a ferris wheel.
3: Sorry. We can go somewhere else.
4: Nah, I've got to get over this sometime.
3: We walked to the wooden door
2: that led to the bell tower. The door was marked, no entrance, danger.
3: Okay, here we go. Everyone inside.
2: That just reset my heartbeat. I don't know how Josh can stand it. Fifteen minutes. Let's go. As we climbed, I tried not to get dizzy. Each stair step was like a slim wedge of cheese in a circular wheel. I was looking forward to the trip down so I could unwind. This is odd. What? Us sneaking around a place we're not supposed to be?
3: No odder than whatever the Gregories are up to.
5: No. What's odd is that this staircase isn't supposed to be used, but everything is clean.
1: Maybe
4: the person who rings the bell is allergic to dust.
3: The bells are automated. We passed a timing mechanism at the bottom of the stairs. We kept winding our
2: way up and up. It was hard to tell what level we were on or how far up we had come. Wait! He swung the flashlight around as he halted on the stairs. He put his finger to his lips and switched off his beam we could make out a doorway just above us and off to the side of the stairs light leaked out around the edges we could hear voices from the other side of the door the tone was serious but calm and very soft i looked up toward josh can't can't understand but there was enough of the stench of GYSP faculty for me to know who was speaking. Josh pointed up the stairs and shrugged his shoulders in a keep-going gesture. It seemed risky. What if they heard us? What if they caught us in here? What if they were already in the only safe place to meet in the bell tower? While I was going through my list of what-ifs, my fearless companions had already made the decision to keep climbing. I hurried to catch up, trying to step as softly as I could. As I ascended, a musty metallic odor of iron grew in strength and competed with the G-I-S-P staff stink. Time to mouth-breathe some more. We must have climbed another story or two when we reached the top, A large platform extended the width and length of the tower. An immense iron bell hung above us, along with the mechanism that would make it ring about twelve minutes from now. A vein in my temple bulged in anticipation. On each wall was a large open window. Moonlight streamed in, giving us plenty of light to see by. Everyone except Neith went to the windows, The views over the campus were beautiful. Warm light shone out from the dorm rooms. Our fellow GYSP students getting a start on their homework, no doubt. Lights were on in the library. Farther off, the city square was lit with street lamps and lights from restaurants and coffee shops. We
4: should get started. We don't have long until Big Bertha rings the half past signal and we all suffer major hearing loss.
2: We sat in a circle on the floor directly below the bell.
6: Zia began. Antimony, I've got some more information. Here,
3: there's
6: a copy for each of you.
3: You're giving us Bible passages?
6: Bible passages that mention people who painted their eyes with Antimony. We looked at the pages where
2: she had highlighted specific verses. 2 Kings 9.30, Jeremiah 4.30, Ezekiel 23.40.
6: Think about it. They could have just said painted their eyes or put on eye makeup. But they make a point to say, with antimony, as if that's significant.
5: Maybe it tells us something about the person using the antimony. Like, maybe they're not actually people. They're Nephilim. Maybe it's a way to point that out without saying as much. Yikes. In the Ezekiel passage, they're describing something pretty awful.
2: Child sacrifice? Yeah. The prophet is accusing the antimony
5: users of sacrificing their children. Wow. It actually says in verse 39, they slaughtered the children they had born for God.
3: If they were Nephilim, those children were elude. And this all takes place after the flood? If the flood was supposed to kill Nephilim, it didn't work. They're still around.
2: Suddenly, my dream lab dream came to mind. The one with Samia and the Nephilim child. Let us get the others, she had said. The Nephilim were definitely still around. I was starting to have some really bad feelings about why the GYSP was so interested in my dreams and how close around might be. Dr. Gregory's claim to know personally that they existed made my stomach tingle with fear, but I also felt some excitement.
7: I've got more information too. Another place Antimony shows up is
2: in CFCs, CFCs? I didn't mean to sound annoyed, but when people talk in alphabet soup, I'm usually the one who has no idea what they're talking about.
7: Chlorofluorocarbons. They used to be in aerosol cans, refrigerants, and fire extinguishers. Antimony was a catalyst in making them work. But they've been banned because they deplete the ozone layer. If they've been banned, what's the problem? The problem is, scientists identified the problem about 50 years ago. But not everyone cooperates with the band. CFCs are still in use, and
3: people still need Antimony to go with them. So the Gregoris benefit from CFC smuggling?
4: But if CFCs keep being used to contribute to the deterioration of the ozone layer, why would anyone participate in that? Who
3: benefits from environmental disaster? No one. Except someone who thinks they won't be affected if there's no more ozone. Huh? You mean someone on Earth
2: will survive? Even if the ozone layer is destroyed, so they don't really care.
5: That's
3: what I mean. Humans won't survive, and a lot of animals won't. That's right. But what if the Gregoris can? Because what if the Nephilim can?
5: We've only got a minute before the bell rings. We should go. Listen.
3: I can't understand it. It's it's like nonsense syllables, but with a pattern, like, like a prayer or a pledge. A small trapdoor, just big enough for one
2: person to shimmy through, was cut in the floorboards. We got down on our stomachs and tried to peer through the slits around the edges of the door. I could see maybe a dozen tall figures, all dressed in black. The candlelight illuminating the room flickered, making the figure's shadows dance on the walls. They were sitting around a large wooden table, Manila folders and small bowls containing what looked like antimony were on the table in front of each figure. The chanting came to an end, and at once each of them took a pinch of the substance from the bowl and put it to their faces. From above, I couldn't see exactly what they were doing swallowing, snorting it. One of them pointed up at the ceiling. They pushed back from the tables and stood suddenly we understood what the gesture meant we scrambled up from our bellies and covered our ears
3: to the windows
2: we scurried to the window that overlooked the quad ears still covered as the first chime reverberated and the clapper struck again being near the window gave a little more room for the sound to escape but it was still deafening with his hands to both ears josh gestured with his elbows to a space below us where a dozen large blackbirds took flight as one. The moonlight glinted off their shiny sable wings as they wheeled around and flew up and away beyond our view. The air had become cold. I thought for a moment that I must have suffered serious hearing loss, but then Zia spoke.
6: We should get out of here before they do.
5: It looks like the light has gone off where they were. I haven't seen blackbirds that large in this area before. In fact, I don't know of any that exist in this area. It's totally quiet down there. They've gone. We headed
2: down the stairs and past the room where the others had been. Let's go in. This may be our only chance. I'm sure they locked it behind them. Nope. Okay.
4: We should still be quick. That bell rings again in 13 minutes.
2: Josh swung his flashlight around, On one wall hung portraits under a plaque that said, Peerless.
3: Beneath each was a small shelf with a glass vial. This one's Vespasian. Vespasian was a Roman emperor, oversaw a military campaign in Garasa.
2: Where the mummy's from? The garrison demoniac.
3: About 30 or so years after he was healed.
6: Look at the dates on these. Can't be birth and death dates. Way too long. Like these under
2: Maria Antony, Jophisa Johanna, whoever she was, could she really have lived 700 years? That's Marie Antoinette, her full name. They serve her hot chocolate in the dream lab. She would have lived a lot longer if she hadn't been such a snob and shared a recipe. Who is Heronimus Joseph Franz? More names... Nine hundred fifty-seven.
6: One of Mozart's patrons. Didn't really appreciate him, though. Mozart's rival, Saliri, got him to give Mozart bad reviews. Then he fired Mozart, and Mozart died not long after.
7: Fired him? Or killed him? Remember what Fenton said about Mozart overdosing on Antimony?
3: Here's Herod the Great. He's the one who had all the babies killed in Bethlehem, hoping to kill Jesus in the process four hundred and thirty-five years old when he died of acute intestinal rupture like xanthi
2: z had gone ahead to the last picture
6: holy cow
2: it's xanthi oh wow with this year as the final date
6: according to the plaque she was four hundred and sixteen
2: what's in the glass
4: vial beneath her portrait beneath all the portraits
6: rachel took a latex
2: glove out of her jeans pocket shook it out, and put it on. She dipped her forefinger into the vial and rubbed the gray dust between her finger and thumb. Ash. I told them about Xanthi and what I had seen in the courtyard. We were silent until Josh shone the torch on the adjacent wall. (coughs) Glass cases perched on shelves containing cross-sectioned heads. We went closer
4: larynxes this is my gysp project studying these things to learn how vocal sounds are made the larynx is the part that makes speech possible each one of these is slightly different the placement and size of the larynx changes
5: like they're from different people
4: no like they're from different species but close to humans
5: well they're not apes apes larynxes are much higher That's part of the reason they can't make speech like us, even though we think they can understand a lot of human language. Hey, Josh, shine the light over on this table. Here's a business card. The Reverend
7: Francis Cannon, Ph.D. St. Hildegard of Bingen Church. The address is
2: downtown.
3: Looks like we have a field trip next on our agenda.
2: Wow, look at that. She pointed at a glass case on a sideboard. The case held tubes of a glowing substance. It looked like what we had seen in the storage room, where the mummified Ethiopian children were kept. She then pointed out a flat black case resting next to the glowing tubes. She opened it gingerly. Six hypodermic needles lay neatly inside the red velvet-lined case.
6: Is someone injecting
2: that stuff? We have to go. Everyone nodded, and we turned toward the door. That's when I saw a marble plaque on the wall by the door. The heading said, Address to the London Duophysite Society, delivered at the annual meeting on the 21st June, 1881, by N. T. Gregory, Esquire, President. Josh, quick, silly putty! He saw where I was pointing, and together we spread the substance as flat as we could to pick up as many of the words on the plaque as possible.
3: This will have to do.
2: He rolled up our polymer scroll and we hurried down the steps and out of the building. We gathered under a street lamp, unrolled the putty, and saw what we had managed to get. Not much. "'Distinguished members, I proceed to lay before you a statement of the progress made in the duophacitical science during the past year. I believe you will agree with me when I say that—' Josh put the inscription into my hand and shrugged apologetically. Together we turned back and looked up at the tower. About two stories beneath the tower bell level, I saw one small opening I'd never noticed before— It must have been a small window to that weird meeting room. It looked like a tiny black eye looking back at us, unblinking. When I got back to my room, I spread out the now warped Silly Putty sheet and read it over several times. I didn't want to go back into the tower, but I wanted to know what else was in that address. I popped my nightly dose of antimony and settled into a fitful sleep. I dreamed I was sitting at one of the tables in the photograph I had seen in Dr. Kaleo's office, the one where she is receiving an award while Dr. Grigori looks on adoringly. In the dream, Dr. Grigori gives his address. When he concludes, the members of the London Duophisite Society give him a standing ovation. I join in their applause and shouts of, Bravo! Dr. Grigori bows slightly to his audience then turns his head towards me, licks his lips with his skinny little tongue, and nods. I woke up in a sweat, my heart pounding, and wrote down everything I could remember. What I knew for certain is that the speech explained what was at the heart of the GYSP. Nephilim existed. Some called themselves the Peerless. Something was seriously wrong with them. Something called disintegrative disco that I would bet my life meant rotting from the inside, like Xanthi did. I was here, and every other GYSP student was here, so they could figure out how to do something about it. I had to get the rest of that address. I thought about asking Josh for his key, but instead picked the lock with my own necrotome I had stolen from the museum storeroom. I snuck into the tower and wrote down the whole address. Distinguished Distinguished members, members,
0: I I lay before you a statement of the progress made in dualistical science during the past year. I believe that you will agree with me when I say that much has been accomplished of late, which will add fresh laurels to those who have already distinguished themselves in our exploration. But first, before I announce the magnificent development that heralds a new epoch in our progress— I must detain you for a brief time, while I refer to those amongst our associates whose loss we lament since our last meeting. We must note the passing of three distinguished members of our society, Count Gruchik of Lasbad, Major General Armani of Sicily, and Professor Petrosnell of Copenhagen. We have, I regret to say, lost three of our most valued and useful correspondents. From them we were in the habit of regularly receiving identification of potential juvenile specimens for study. Regrettably, our colleagues have succumbed to the disintegration that is the plague of our otherwise glorious existence. We deplore their extinguishment, and I pledge that our society will continue the meritorious investigations of these agents now beyond our reach. Having dispensed with the announcement of our losses, I now report on the Society's new program for the identification and collection of subjects for our further research. It is time to dispense with our outmoded practice of relying on those with hybrid tendencies to come to us. We begin in earnest the recruitment and identification of subjects amongst the young. It is now imperative that we actively pursue, gather, and analyze those we believe will be assets to our cause. It is not only the advances of disintegrative discoherence among our noble and ancient line that make this action our obligation— We also now possess advanced means for experimentation that will aid in our crucial endeavor to restore purity amongst our kind. In particular, we will pursue new work in the fields of onerology and hybridization, thanks to the friar Gregor Johannes Mendel, first published in the Proceedings of the Natural History Society of Brünn in 1865. The time has come for more aggressive measures. The first and foundation of these is the commencement of the Grigori Young Scholars Program, which will be housed under the auspices of the Harvard Divinity School of Cambridge, Massachusetts, in which our society has gained a foothold and the full cooperation and sponsorship of Dr. Vladimir Grigori, my cousin, a member of the peerless, long-laboring on the North American continent. Therefore, on this day, I announce to you the beginning of a new epoch, as we begin the program that will lead Lead to our glorious glorious
2: goal. goal. I got out of there as fast as I could, but not before I noticed that Xanthi's ashes and portrait were gone. Where the painting had hung was a black rectangle, like it had been burned, leaving scorch marks behind. I went straight to the library and looked up onerology, The study of dreams.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. The address on the business card led us to the large white wooden church in the center of town, built within a traffic circle from which the streets radiated. The sun was setting as we arrived. Streetlights that looked like old-fashioned lanterns stood around the circle and cast a warm yellow glow. The church's front double doors were painted bright red. A sign next to the door read, St. Hildegard of Bingen Church, and listed Sunday worship times. A grassy churchyard with a few grave markers and leafy sycamore trees surrounded the building. A cross and the year 1692 marked the building's cornerstone. The front doors were locked. We knocked. The man who greeted us was dressed in a priest shirt and collar and gray slacks. He had a trim build, dark hair, and smiling eyes with deep-cut laugh lines. His pinched brow suggested weariness, but when he saw us, he smiled.
8: Usually, I leave everything unlocked, but with your arrival... I had to be cautious. Come on in.
2: You thought we were coming, so you locked the door?
8: I knew I should expect visitors from the Divinity School. You are students there?
2: We nodded, but looked at each other. Was he expecting us, or some other visitors from GYSP? He looked past us, out into the churchyard, his eyes sweeping the space as if to see whether we had been followed then pulled the doors closed behind us. He swung a two-by-four across the double doors and dropped it into place across the two waist-high metal brackets designed to hold it.
8: They didn't bother with complicated locks in the old days. There. I'm Dr. Francis Cannon. Who are you?
4: Hi, Dr. Cannon. I'm Neith. It's a pleasure to meet you.
2: My name is Kaya. Delani. Nice to meet you. We introduced ourselves one at a time and shook hands. He repeated each of our names after we said it, as if going over a mental checklist.
8: So, you are here about the job?
2: What job? I wondered if coming here was a mistake, and if it was safe to be locked in an old church with Dr. Cannon, nice as he seemed. A two-by-four keeping someone locked out was scary. A two-by-four keeping us inside was creepy.
8: You have work to do, and you're here to discover what it is, or... Part of it, at least.
2: Um, I I guess that's right. You're sure it's really us you are expecting?
8: Others are on their way, I know. But I also knew that sooner or later, some of you would find your way here. And that when you did, I would be ready to share what I know. I wish I knew the whole plan, but I don't. I only know the part that's been given me. I simply trust, or attempt to... And hope you can, too, that knowing the little bit ahead of you is enough. It has to be enough. Okay, then. Onward. Come. I have something to show you.
2: He led us into the chancel area in front of the church and motioned to the few stairs that led up to the sanctuary, the area in front of the stone altar.
8: It's okay. Come on up.
2: In the wall above the altar were three large stained-glass windows, The street lamps outside provided just enough light to illuminate the subjects. The central panel showed the magi, three of them according to tradition, kings from the east who came to adore the Christ child. Their gifts for the baby, gold, frankincense, and myrrh in opulent containers, were already offered at the Madonna's feet. But these magi were clearly identified as astronomers as well. One held a golden astrolabe, a tool for locating and predicting the positions of the sun, moon, stars, and planets. The second held a small brass telescope. The third, a silver sextant, used to measure the angle between the horizon and the celestial object. Above the magi, their famous guiding star twinkled and shone a ray of light down on the baby cradled in his mother's arms. His hand extended in a gesture of blessing over his exotic visitors, while Joseph looked on in wonder. In the upper right corner of the panel, a choir of minuscule angels burst into song above a faraway hill populated by shepherds and their flocks of sheep. The source of the Magi story was written below Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and the verse we observed his star at its rising. I thought immediately of the Enoch story, with its tale of angels moving in the opposite direction, falling, the advent of chaos. No wonder the Magi were hopeful when they saw a bright star rise. The panels on either side of the Magi were divided in half vertically. Each held two of the four archangels, wings unfurled, each angel holding his identifying attributes, his name and its meaning written below. Gabriel, which means strong man of God with a branch from paradise and a scroll. Michael, which means who is like God, treading on a dragon holding weighing scales and a sword. Raphael, meaning God heals with his bottle of medicine. Uriel, meaning God is my light, with a flaming sword and a fire burning in the palm of his hand. The archangels looked like they were standing watch over the Magi and the Holy Family, whose lives were about to be turned upside down when evil King Herod would decide the infant was a threat. The family would flee to Egypt, while innocent children would be massacred at home. Why couldn't the guardian angels intervene then, I wondered.
8: Couldn't? Wouldn't? didn't. They're beautiful, aren't they? Raphael is the patron of those who suffer nightmares, and Uriel is the patron of young people, especially those who dedicate themselves to fight against evil. But what I really want you to see is up there. He pointed
2: above us. Although the overhead lights were low and just a few candles were lit, we could make out clearly the beautiful domed ceiling overhead. It was painted a magnificent deep blue, the color of the night sky. Stars of various sizes painted onto the dome glittered in gold and silver, twinkling and sparkling in the candlelight.
6: Wow, beautiful. It's the dome, isn't it? The acoustics in here are spectacular. Delaney's voice sounds like a bell. Ooh, so does mine.
2: Zia's voice always sounded like a bell, if that meant clear and melodious. You wanted it to ring forever.
8: That's exactly right. It was built to convey sound in a special way. Neith, go over there, to the end of one of the choir stalls. Say something quietly. Anything. The rest of us won't look at you as you speak, so you'll know we're not reading your lips. Go ahead when you're ready. I'm afraid of heights.
6: Perfect. Not that you're afraid of heights, but how clear and strong your voice is, even from a distance.
8: Yeah, well, I don't like the dark much either. Can I come back now? Yes, yes. The dome amplifies perfectly. Very useful on Sunday morning when the acolytes get fidgety during my sermons. I can hear you, I say to them from the pulpit. Freaks them out a little the first time, but what it does for music is extraordinary. Okay, who's the singer in the bunch? It's me, sir. Try this
6: got it. She lowered the paper,
2: closed her eyes, and sang. (laughs) I couldn't understand the words. They must have been written in another language. But they conveyed an otherworldly beauty that ascended high above me and also filled me resonating inside me I had the sensation of light streaming down on us filling the dome I didn't even try to stop them as tears of joy streamed down my face Zia sang the last notes we all looked at Zia she opened her eyes a gentle smile on her face
6: thank you Dr. Cannon what was that
4: a song to the angels Latin may I see it It says, O you angels who guard the peoples, whose form gleams in your face, and O you archangels who receive the souls of the just. O you cherubim and seraphim, seal the secrets of God.
8: Very good. It's by St. Hildegard of Bingham, the saint for whom this church is named. The sheet music you sang from, Zia, is a very early copy of one of her musical compositions. There's an icon of her there, to the right of the altar.
2: A woman in a dark nun's habit was depicted, sitting with her black shoed feet resting on a small stool. In her left hand, she held a book on her lap. With her right hand, she held a writing tool, a pen, or stylus. Tongues of flame, like rosy tentacles, descended from the archway above her, alighting on her head, her eyes, ears, and throat. She looked at peace, even as the flames touched her.
8: Hildegard received visions. Her visions gave her insight into the nature of creation and inspired her studies in theology, music, and science.
7: What kind of science?
8: The healing qualities of gemstones and metals. Her book, Physica, contains information about how to prepare and administer tinctures, powders, plasters, and other ways to treat a number of ailments and diseases.
7: Was there anything on Antimony? Maybe she knew it as Stibium.
8: If so, that entry was lost
7: or stolen. In the chemistry lab, I found a page torn from an old book I can't decipher. It's about a crystal of some sort, like antimony, but I can't make out the writing.
8: Does it look like that? See, up there, around the base of the dome.
7: Exactly like that.
8: Hildegard invented her own language, called lingua ignota, or unknown language, with its own alphabet of 23 letters. People who study or invent conlangs Uh, constructed languages, or planned languages, languages that have not developed naturally over time. Think of St. Hildegard as their medieval predecessor, their patron saint, if you will. She was the first person ever to create an artificial language. Hmm. Do we know why she did it? We're not sure, except that she believed it was something that came to her as a gift, another revelation. Why would you make up a language?
3: If I were trying to keep something secret.
6: Yes, and without the key, you can't understand it. You could also make a language that isn't really secret, but is meant for people in a particular group, like Klingon. Klingon isn't a secret language, but you've got to be a Trekkie to know it, or want to.
2: Or maybe she was working on a language for everyone, you know, like Esperanto.
8: Yes, uh, a universal language. All good ideas. Well, if she wanted to keep it a secret, She didn't do a good job of it. She recorded the key. So that's one piece of evidence that she may have been trying to construct a universal language, or uncover one. Here's a copy of her alphabet and the corresponding Roman alphabet letters. What you see in the dome is a line from her theory on harmony. Hildegard believed that when we sing, we join the company of the angels and saints in heaven, praising God, and also the celestial harmony sometimes called the music of the spheres, which she believed was a literal sound made by the revolutions of stars, moon, sun, and the planets. The celestial harmony is also what we feel and participate in when we act in accordance with our purpose given by God. She believed she could hear the sound of that harmony and put it into her musical compositions. See those letters on the ceiling? This quotation says, Harmony in heaven and earth. Through the joining of heaven and earth, in the alignment of the stars, in the vanquishing of discord and evil.
2: Those stars above the words, are those constellations? I don't see anything that looks familiar.
8: I'm certain they are. When the church was built, they took extravagant care to make sure every detail had meaning. Every aspect of the church's architecture and decoration was documented and explained. Nothing here was ever meant to be a secret. That's just not our way. We want to celebrate and expand our knowledge of all aspects of life, spiritual, temporal. That's why they never cared about locking up the church, at least until more recently when knowledge seems to be a dangerous thing. However, the one place about which we have no information is the dome. All the details for the dome have disappeared. The sheet with the preliminary drawings, the pages that would have held the explanation of the stars and their placement, all disappeared from our archives like they never existed. Anyone who used to know is gone. In fact, anyone related to anyone who used to know has also died, moved away, is unreachable. I've tried.
2: I took a piece of paper and a pencil out of my bag and started sketching the design. We should be able to figure it out. We can probably find out the date and the place where this sky would have appeared, just like this.
6: Dr. Cannon, you said the quotation on the dome is about harmony, right? Yes. Specifically about the harmony that comes through the joining of heaven and earth.
8: Yes, in the vanquishing of discord and evil.
6: We're trying to find out more about the Nephilim, right? Zia looked around at all of us. Nephilim are the product of the joining of heaven and earth.
3: Yes, but they're a source of discord and evil, not the solution to it, at least according to the myth. I know. I just
6: wonder if Hildegard was trying to tell us something about how the Nephilim operate, or what they're up to, or maybe what the solution is to defeat them. I can't put my finger on it, but there's a reason we found Dr. Cannon's card, and it's not just so we can admire the church's acoustics and pretty stained glass. Can we try another sound experiment? Of course. What happens if the dome's effect is interrupted? Like this. Josh, you're the tallest. Stand under the dome in the middle. Okay. It should have changed, at least a little. Dr. Cannon, do you have something Josh can stand on?
8: No problem. I'll get a ladder. It's sacred space, but we still have to dust. Here, try this.
2: Josh stood on the ladder under the center of the dome. He held his arms up to make himself as tall as possible, his shins against the top
6: rung. Here I go. Same line, same tune.
2: Suddenly, the lights flickered, the candles were blown out, and an icy breeze like fingers of fog filled the church.
8: Quick, follow me this way,
2: now! He helped Josh off the ladder and ushered us all into the room next to the altar area. He pointed at an oriental rug.
8: Under there is a hatch. Lift it. Go down the ladder. Go to the eastern wall, uh, the same wall that the altar stands against. Feel a wall from the floor. Five bricks up and seven bricks from the north wall. There's a gap in the mortar. Use your finger to push into the gap and you'll find the way out. Take this.
2: He jabbed a flashlight at Delani.
8: Go quickly and do not look back, no matter what.
2: He nodded at us, turned, walked through the door, and shut us into the sacristy. The smell of soot and tar flooded my nostrils. Josh yanked back the rug and opened the hatch. We scrambled down the ladder, Delani leading the way. We were in some kind of storage room, dank with dirt floors. I could smell the contents jugs of sacramental wine, wooden crates of candles cushioned in straw, and piles of moldering prayer books. A rat scurried away from the eastern wall as Delani swung the torch toward it. Zia counted the bricks while Delani shone the light on the wall and mouthed a thank you to the departing rat. Zia pressed her fingers into the hollow in the mortar. A section of bricks fell into a small tunnel, "'just
3: large enough for us to crawl through.' "'Go! I'll try to stack the bricks back in place.' "'Don't take too long.' "'I could feel the damp cold that had
2: invaded the church "'coming into the tunnel behind us. "'The light from the flashlight bounced off the sides of the tunnel. "'At least if we met any more rodents, "'Delani was first in line for reasoning with them, "'or whatever you did to get them not to sink their teeth into you. "'I tried not to think about it and kept crawling.' After about five minutes, we stopped. A warm light was coming from a space in front of us, and I caught a whiff of coffee, freshly brewed. The tunnel widened to where it was possible to crouch, then stand, then walk. We turned a corner and found ourselves on one side of a metal gate. We looked at one another, wondering where we were. We were covered in dust and our pants legs were filthy. Delani pushed the gate open. She looked at us and shrugged. I'm shutting off the flashlight. We all nodded and tried to pat the dust off ourselves and each other. We walked through the gate, turned the corner, and found ourselves in a softly lit room with a couch, a few armchairs, and some wooden tables and chairs. A young man wearing a dark knit cap was sitting in one of the armchairs, his back to us, listening to something on his laptop through his earbuds. As we walked by, he blew on the contents of the paper cup he held gingerly in both hands. He took a sip and looked at us blankly, apparently not interested or surprised that we had materialized from nowhere. Or maybe he knew about the tunnel, I turned around and saw a small sign mounted on the wall. Around this corner, a gate leads to a tunnel sealed since 1900. The tunnel was once part of the Underground Railroad, connecting this building to the historic church of St. Hildegard of Bingen. During the Revolutionary War, it may have been used by privateers working on the side of the British to smuggle goods out to ships waiting in the harbor. I pictured Dr. Cannon with a shovel and pickaxe, unblocking the tunnel so it could provide safe passage again. We arrived in a larger room, where baristas made coffee drinks and customers chatted around tables or worked on laptops, a hipster coffee shop in the basement level of an old building. Seizing the opportunity for a caffeine fix and trying to make it look like we fit in, Zia bought us all cappuccinos to go. We left the shop and climbed the stairs to the street level and saw the church on the other side of the traffic circle. All the stained glass windows were dark. Light no longer glowed from within. The soot and tar smell hung heavy in the air now, mixing with the tinge of gasoline, but no one else seemed to notice. I said a silent prayer for Dr. Cannon's safety. As we walked toward the T station that would take us back to the school, I hoped, before curfew. As we descended the stairs to the subway station, a sharp noise cut into the quiet of the night. Was it the squeal of the subway train's brakes as it pulled to a stop? Or was it the sound of a stained glass window being shattered? The next morning, Delaney and I went straight to the astronomy lab. We had received a tour as part of our GYSP orientation from a cheerful research assistant named Rhonda. We found Rhonda sitting behind her huge computer monitor, squinting at something on the screen through her thick, dark-rimmed engineer glasses. She looked up at us. Hiya, ladies. What's up? We need your help. Can you tell us when and where a particular version of the night sky would appear? Do you have a picture? Here's a sketch I made.
9: These X's are stars, right? Yes. I wasn't criticizing, just making sure. Precision is important for accuracy. Let's do this on the big screen. This way to the planetarium. Time to travel through the galaxy. Have a seat, anywhere. Okay, I just need to punch some things in here. The larger the X, the larger the star, correct? Uh Uh-huh. This should just take a second. Enjoy your ride through the nocturnal stratosphere.
2: She turned the lights down. A bright, starry sky appeared on the dome above us. Near the bottom edge of the sky, today's date appeared, along with our longitude and latitude. Suddenly, the sky began to swirl, Lights of stars and planets flashed, grew, and disappeared. Streaks of light surged through the darkness. The date stamp was streaming backwards, but so quickly I couldn't read it. The whirling sky picked up speed, then abruptly slowed until stars clicked into place. The date and location stamp read, June twenty-first, 3445 BCE, 32.0. 5364 degrees north, 44.4208 degrees east.
9: We're in Iraq, known as Babylon then, of course. More precisely, a place known as the Plains of Shinar. Where'd you get this?
2: I didn't answer. Why did that place sound familiar? I noticed a little hourglass shape was blinking at the end of the line just after the longitude and latitude notation.
9: Does that hourglass mean anything? It means the same configuration of constellations is going to happen again soon. When? Exactly two weeks from now. It won't be in exactly the same place as the first time due to the shifts in the Earth's rotation. It will take a little longer to find out where. Where did you say you got this? Then
2: I remembered. The Tower of Babel was built on the plains of Shinar. Sorry, Rhonda. I got up and pulled Delaney out of her seat. I grabbed my drawing from Rhonda's hand. We've got to run, but we'll come back to see what you find as the next location. Uh, sure. What's the rush? Don't want to be late to class. A lie. I wanted to get back to the others as soon as possible to tell them what we learned.
5: Yep. Thanks, Rhonda. Great show. What just happened? The constellation was the sky over the plains of Shinar. Shinar? As in Babel? As in Tower of? Where people built a high tower and tried to reach heaven? But God got mad and
2: scrambled their language and they had to stop building. Yep, that's the place. Zia was on to something with her experiment and dissonance. Somehow the dome at St. Hildegard's replicated the effect of the Tower of Babel, complete discord. The constellation on the ceiling is supposed to point people to that story. Babel was a place that went from harmony, or at least people working on a common project, to total discord and confusion.
5: Is it significant that the constellation's going to appear again soon? I don't know. Could there be another Tower of Babel?
2: We hurried off to the refectory for breakfast, lost in our thoughts. We got our trays and sat down next to Zia, Neith, Rachel, and Josh, anxious to tell them about our discovery. But before we could start, Josh jumped in.
3: Did you hear? Hear what? Shh. On the news this morning, St. Hildegard of Bingen Church burned to the ground last night, shortly after 10 p.m.
4: (gasps) Act normal.
3: The place was completely incinerated. Charred ash is all that's left. Even the cornerstone is gone. Firefighters were called right away, but they couldn't put it out. Even once they chopped through the front doors and smashed in some of the windows to put the fire hoses through, they couldn't extinguish the flames. Fire Chief gave an interview this morning saying he'd never seen anything like it. Is Dr. Cannon okay? No one's
4: been able to locate him.
7: Greek fire. I bet if they test the ash, they'll
6: find antimony and an accelerant. How long until the police come looking for us?
5: We must have been the last ones in the church, other than Dr. Cannon. And whoever came in when we did our little experiment, or whatever came in, it felt like an icy fog, but I didn't see anyone, did you? What
6: if someone knows we were in the church and thinks we had something to do with it? We tell the
3: truth. We were visiting the rector. We noticed something really weird about sound under the dome. A mysterious cold front came into the locked church. Dr. Cannon escorted us to a tunnel that was blocked up in 1900. We got cappuccinos to go and came back here. Probably shouldn't mention that Rachel knows how to make Greek fire.
6: Yeah, that sounds strange. Let's just hope Dr. Cannon escaped.
4: What now?
2: Delani and I told them about what we found at the planetarium. We should check back with Rhonda about the date of that next occurrence, but we need to be careful not to let anyone know where the sketch was made, especially now.
6: Okay, so we did an experiment under the dome. Without an obstruction, the acoustics were glorious, gorgeous, perfect. With an obstruction, in this case, Josh on the ladder, Harmony turned into absolute ugliness, discord... Something painful, even. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's when we all felt the cold, whatever it was. And Dr. Cannon whisked us out. Just after the discordant sound, right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that's right. It turns out, according to what Delani and Kaya discovered, that the church's dome is a replica of the sky above the plains of Shinar, in just the right era when archaeologists say people first build ziggurats, Ancient towers, like the Tower of Babel. That's right. And the sky will be
2: like that again, exactly two weeks from now, but we don't know where yet.
6: Josh on the stepladder was like a mini tower of Babel under a mini plains of Shinar sky. We discovered that, and suddenly we have to stop the experiment. In fact, we can never recreate it, because the church is in cinders and the dorm is
3: destroyed.
4: So whoever, whatever that was that Dr. Cannon saved us from, didn't want us to learn anything more.
3: Or had gotten the information it needed and stopped the experiment before we tried anything else. Sounds like we
2: have exactly two weeks. Or until the arson squad drags us in for questioning to figure out what's going on.
6: Or until
2: Dr. Cannon is found
3: safe and sound. Everyone nodded, but none of us had much hope of that. We really need to find out more about the Tower of Babel.
4: Universal language, too. I'm curious about why St. Hildegard would try to invent one and why a universal language and Babel are connected. Wait a second, looks like this is our lucky
6: day. Sure, if you don't count possibly being wanted by the arson squad, and the fact that a nice man who was trying to help us is probably dead, and that really creepy things are happening all around us, I'm sure this is a very lucky day.
4: Okay, so it wasn't the best way to say it, but look, this is exactly what we need. Look at this flyer. Who's up for Conling Con?
5: This is Allie
1: Daniels. Thank you for listening to Antimony. This podcast was written by Amy Richter and is based on the novel Antimony, published by Wiffenstock. Copyright 2019. The novel is available at whiffandstock.com, amazon.com, and other online booksellers. Music was composed and arranged by Pan Conrad. You've been listening to the voices of the Silver Linings Players, a group of volunteers from all over the world who came together virtually during the COVID-19 pandemic to record this podcast for you. Episode 8 featured, in order of appearance, Lydia Brower as Kaya, David Merrill as Josh, Catherine Hilton as Delani, Aya Fuad as Zia, Rachel Hunter as Rachel, Emmett Pro Richter as Neith, Josiah Dykstra as N.T. Gregory, Ned Krishamanya as Dr. Cannon, and Samantha McLaughlin as Rhonda. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and give it a rating or review so others can find it too. We'll be back in two weeks with Episode 9.